bring this up here. So this morning we are going to be uh, in a several passages. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 will be our first passage we are looking at, and we are, uh, we are continuing our series in Christian vocation. Vocation is simply the Latin word for calling. We brought that picture up there as we talked about last week. We have these four major aspects of our vocation, our calling as Christians, our calling in our work, our calling in our citizenship, our calling in our family, our calling in the church, and how these things overlap at times to one degree or another. Uh, but, they, but our Christian vocation is as priests of God, as parts of that priesthood of all believers that, that Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2. And so what we're doing now is we're focusing on, on, specific, on specific spheres uh, of our vocation. And today we're going to be looking at uh, our calling is in the family. So we are going to begin by looking at our passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Bring the text up on the screen. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. May he bless us richly as his people who attend to it. So this is, uh, as we do in October, we look at a, at a doctrine, uh, and this we're looking at our doctrine of Christian calling or Christian vocation. As we saw last week, vocation is not merely our job, the area of our employment, but our calling in life. And one major point we must keep in the forefront of our minds always is that as we consider what our calling is as Christians, that our true and primary vocation is always as a holy and royal priesthood, as I mentioned earlier. We are, by the mercy of God and the blood of Christ, set apart as a royal and holy priesthood, as Peter says, to offer up our lives as living sacrifices unto God. We live, then, as priests of God, all of us, every Christian, all who trust in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we live as priests of God, then, in our families, in our labors, in our church, and in our life as citizens. There may be certain aspects outside of these, but these are the main four. And so as we consider this and consider the doctrine of family, our calling in our family, uh, I mean, without a doubt, I think we can say that our understanding of family today is a mess. Our society increasingly doesn't know how to define what a family is or even what a gender is. Even if we accept a more traditional or what we would say biblical view of what a family is, a husband, wife, children, that doesn't mean that we actually have a biblical view of family, simply because we have a tr more traditional view. Simply because there's a husband and wife and they got a couple of kids doesn't mean that they have a biblical view of what the family is. 
Now, there's a whole long series to do here on family, and, I've, and I'm going to pack it all in in one shot here today. And we're really asking, what is a, a very specific question? What is my calling as a Christian to my family? What is my Christian responsibility to my family? And there's three aspects of this calling that we're going to consider here this morning. Our calling as children, number one. Our calling in marriage, number two. And third, our calling as parents. So we'll look at all three. First, we consider our calling as children. And we begin with our calling as children first because, number one, not everyone is married. And number two, uh, not everyone has children, but everyone is a child. All right? 100% of us in here are children. If you're not, we need to talk. Okay? But we, and so as children, we are, no matter what age we are, we are called to honor our parents. We are called to honor our parents. Paul quotes in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 that we just read. We'll come to back to verse 4 later. But he quotes the fifth commandment in Ephesians 6 to establish why children on this side of the cross ought to still obey their parents in the Lord. Now, in the Lord means that if, uh, you know, particularly if parents are not believers or even a believing parent commands their child to sin, um, then, you know, in that case, a, a child can righteously disobey their parent if the parent is trying to induce them to sin. Um, but otherwise, in the lordship of Christ, a child is, is to obey their parents. This is by design, the design of God. He says, because it is right. It is right for children to obey. By the very light of nature, we know this. It is right for children to obey those who brought them into this world. Or as my father said, like to say, if I brought you in this world, I can take you out of it. So, so but, but he said, uh, um, uh, but he said, it was a joke. <laughs> but, um, but, he, he, but he said, uh, but we have the, but we need to obey those who have brought us into the world, even by the very light of nature, either by birth or who are over us by virtue of adoption as well, right? Because they are our earthly parents if they have adopted us. Second, um, he reminds children that there is a promised blessing still for them who obey this command. He says, this, he, he says, you know, he says hey, this is the first of the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise, by the way. God loves giving incentives to obedience to his people. And he says, children, remember that there is promised blessing for those who will honor God by obeying their parents. Now, as children grow older, uh, uh, the influence of the parent reduces. Right? This is very, just, it's just the natural way of things. Uh, and so uh, you know, the independence of the child increases, and the influence and authority of the parent over that child tends to decrease over the immediate as they begin to embrace adulthood, as they move from being boys and girls to men and women. And so, you know, it was, it was a mark of honor when my uncle said to me, we had a conversation. He said, he said you know, our, our conversation tells me now that you're a man. You're not a boy any longer. You know, the way that you talk, the way that you are talking about your life and how you're engaging. Now I see that you're not just simply a, a 20-something-year-old boy. You are now a man. 
and uh, and so uh, and so and so you know the kids that are in here you know I got all the kids in here <laughs> but uh, children especially young younger children okay I'm gonna get to the parents later we're gonna get ours in just a moment um, but uh, but your calling by God as children your calling by your Creator and your Redeemer is to obey your mom and dad to the best of your ability, to repent when you sin against your parents, and to encourage and set an example for your siblings to obedience and repentance in the Lord. That is the calling of young children and teenagers who are still in their home of their parents. But our responsibility to our parents doesn't end at adolescence, in the teen years, or in our early 20s. You should always call your mom. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4, that if a widow is in need and she has children or grandchildren, then these children and grandchildren, they ought to do two things. So they need to do two things. Number one, they need to learn to show godliness toward their own household. They need to learn to show godliness toward their own household. And secondly, to make some return, not a complete return, some return to their parents for what their parents did for them. And he tells us why. He says in 1 Timothy 5, 4, it pleases God. It makes God happy when we care for our parents when they are in need. There is a sense of then of, of obligatory gratitude that children ought to have toward their parents. The ones who brought us into the world, who fed us, clothed us, educated us. Who, if we were raised in a godly home, taught us to love God, to hate sin, and to love Christ. And don't rush past this, because there are many people in their older years who say things like, well, I can't, they do, they're freaked out because they're like, I can't be a burden to my children. I can't be a burden to my children. I can't be a burden to my children. And they're terrified of being a burden to their children. And so sometimes they'll even cut out their children out of very important decisions because they don't want to be a burden to them. Well, I didn't want to worry you. As a child, as an adult child, that is a statement that I cannot stand when my parents tell me that. I'm like, it is my job to worry about you, okay? Don't tell me you didn't want to worry me because now I'm really worried <laughs> now, now, now that you told me. And so, and so sometimes there are people who are constantly and they're obsessed with being completely independent from their children. Now, if someone has the financial means to do that, then by all means, do it. Wonderful. It's good. Do it. Great. But if you find yourself in the position, the position of the helpless widow that Paul talks about here, he doesn't say, shame on this helpless widow for not saving and being a burden on her family, right? He says, if you find yourself in that position where you cannot care for yourself and, you, and we cannot care for ourselves, then we need to understand we're not being a burden to our children, but we're not, we're not an inconvenience to be dropped off at, 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 at the nearest facility, but rather we are an opportunity for our children and grandchildren to learn how to be godly and how to please, an opportunity to please God by making some return for what we did for them. You know, years ago, this is true, there was a father who tried to sue his son for hundreds of thousands of dollars to recuperate the cost of raising him. <laughs> now, that is a foolish and wicked thing to do, but that's not what we're talking about here. All right, we cannot, you cannot repay someone for bringing us into the world. <laughs> you just can't do it. We're not talking about parents exacting a certain amount of 
time, money, and attention or care from their children. We're talking about children who in later years honor their parents by showing them love and care that hopefully the kind that they received when they were children. And sometimes children have to learn to care for their parents better than they were cared for by them. And let us never forget that we are called to this ultimately because our identity rests in the fact that we are, by grace and faith, children of God. John says in his gospel in John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, and not of blood, nor the will of flesh, or the will of man, but of God. Our calling as children of God is to obey our heavenly Father. That reminds you of something we just Paul just told the kids? We're called to love our Father, to serve him. And why do you think Jesus said, those who love my Father, obey him? Those who love my Father, do what he says. Can we ever repay the Father for what he has done for us? For the love that he has shown us in our lives, especially in our redemption? Never. But can we love him? To the best of our ability, by honoring his authority in our lives, obeying his commands, we find them in the word of God to the best we can, growing in faithfulness by the grace of the Holy Spirit? Yes. But maybe we didn't have godly parents. Maybe we don't have godly parents right now. Maybe they're unbelievers. Unfortunately, many have parents who are hateful and cruel and abusive and did evil things to them and are unrepentant about it. And there are times when children cannot care for their parents because of how their parents lived and the decisions that their parents made. There are times when we have to cut off contact completely. So this is not a command to, be, to bludgeon people, to force them into a relationship with, a, with an abusive or wicked parent, but rather a call to children to honor their parents as best they can. I mean, I have a friend who literally was... Was he was he was dating, he was dating a, a he was dating a, a woman, and a young woman. They're in their twenties, and he went to her parents, and he said, "I would like to marry your daughter. Would you give us blessing?" You see, you know, and, and they said, "Well, why don't you move in together first for a while?" How does he honor? How does she honor her parents who want her to move in with another man? They didn't. <laughs> they didn't. That was ridiculous, okay? So they, they disobeyed her parents. She disobeyed her own parents and did not move in with this man, and they got married. <laughs> and then they moved in together, <laughs> all right? So, uh, but, uh, but it's like there are times where it doesn't work. But he was still, I would submit, they were still actually honoring the authority of parents. And they were honoring, most of all, their heavenly father. So... So at the end of the day, even if we have this worst-case scenario as children where we have parents that are wicked, parents that are unbelievers, parents that would encourage us to sin, we can still honor and serve our Heavenly Father who does love us, who does care for us, who has redeemed us, and who continues to bless us. So our calling as children is to honor our parents for the whole of our lives. It just changes and shifts as we get older, and, uh, and it depends on where we're at and where they're at. It's a whole lot of factors that involve in it. So that's, that is our calling as children. But now let's consider our calling in marriage. And so we are called uh, in marriage specifically to love and respect each other. And there are some particular emphasis that are there. 
Now, what's very interesting is that Paul comes into this section in, in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, he calls it his section, this famous section on, on, on the husbands and wives. He does, he does so after saying that in the church we are called to mutual love and submission to one another, called serving and submitting to one another in, in the, under the lordship of Christ. And then he says, okay, now let's talk about the marriage. And then he gets into that. And so specifically he says in Ephesians 5.33, and just a, a summary of what he has said in this section. We don't have time to go through it. Uh, although I did preach on this whole section about eight years ago. It's up on Sermon Audio. You can go listen to it. Um, but Ephesians 5.33, However, let one, each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so this is a wonderful summary of the, the marriage relationship. And, uh, and which is summarizing a lot of, a lot of uh, there's a lot of meat on these, on these bones in this section here. Uh, but he says there that husbands are called to lead uh, in, in, in their home in the word of God. Husbands are called to love their wives as their own bodies. Husbands are called to lay down their lives even as Christ did so for the church. And so the description that Paul gives of, of what it looks like to be a husband or calling as husbands, is, uh, is sacrificial, loving, nurturing, and protecting. And wives are called to respect their husbands and to live in submission to their husbands. Part of the scandal of Paul's teaching today is that uh, submission is largely misdefined and uh, as a synonym for suppression and domination. But if that's the case, then again, what do we do with, with Paul teaching earlier in the same chapter that Christians are meant to submit to one another in love? Well, it doesn't mean to dominate one another in the church, right? It doesn't mean to suppress one another or oppress others in the church. The command is not, is not, is not to the husband to, to go about proactively subjugating his wife. It is for the wife to submit herself to her husband for the sake of the Lord. So this view of marriage is very controversial today. It's described as hateful and misogynistic and all types of words and wonderful adjectives were used it, used against it. Um, and there's much we could say on it. And again, I have preached on this uh, in the past. Um, but what we can say generally here is that marriage is a holy calling that demands self-denial on both, uh, on both, from both the husband and the wife. There is not, it's not just one partner denies themselves while the other one doesn't, right? But the, the problem with self-denial in the marriage relationship is that it requires trust, and it requires a lot of it. Because, you know, what if I lay my life down for my wife and she just runs right over me? What if I respect my husband and he treats me like a doormat? But, the, but a lot of people's solution is, well, then I will just harp on the other person until they give me what I want, and then I'll give them the thing that they want. But the problem is nobody gets what they want in that situation because everyone's holding out. This is why we embrace our calling for the sake of the Lord not because of the worthiness of our particular spouse in a particular moment. We cannot force our spouses, our husband or our wife, to be godly. We can only love them as we are called in our vocation, as a husband 
or wife. And that calling, that living, I mean, you know, Lee Strobel, the famous Christian apologist, said it was the godliness of his wife that caught his attention when she became a believer. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3 that, hus- that wives are to win their husbands over without a word and by the godliness of their lives. Because that speaks a far better word and convic- convicts far better and lets the Spirit do his work. But there are times when we sin against our vocation, when we sin against our spouses. And in those times, we must repent of our failures and our calling toward our spouse. Husbands, we must repent of the ways that we have failed to lay down our lives for our wives. And we have walked instead in pride and selfishness. Wives must confess and repent of the times they have not respected their husbands respected their husband's calling to lead, and instead have tried to take control. There are also times we must confess when the sin of a spouse is such that it can break the bonds of marriage and shatter them thoroughly. The Lord only gives us two in the scriptures, sexual immorality and spousal abandonment. Abuse certainly complicates our consideration of these grounds. And any situation like this is always messy and painful and honestly just horrific and sad. But all we can say is that these are the worst case scenarios when it comes to marriage and each one must be evaluated on its own merits. There is no cookie cutter just stamp on every situation as much as we would like for there to be one. But we all must always remember that divorce is the exception, not the rule. The rule is for two people to be joined together in a one flesh relationship characterized by love and respect, service and submission, recognizing that the husband and wife each belong to the other. And we can read more about this in Genesis chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, and of course even our passage in Ephesians chapter 5. And so, it, and if we need guidance on how this works, then we simply need to go back to Ephesians 5 and look at this passage and, to re, be, and be reminded that even in our relationship with God, that we are the bride of Christ. Slides aren't working. Uh, that, so we are, but we are the bride of Christ. There we go. In Ephesians 5, Paul says the mystery of Genesis 2.24, which he quotes there, that a man and woman shall be joined together, or bring it up, uh, and that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He says this is a profound mystery, and he says this mystery relates to Christ and the church. Marriage is a picture of Christ's own relationship with his bride. And so husbands, we need to look to how Christ loves his church, loves his bride. As we love to sing from heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her and for her life, he died. That is the husband's call. Wives are called to see the command given to the church and to trust and the trust the church places in Christ and to emulate that trust in marriage. 
And while we all fail our spouses in marriage, we who are married, and, and where our spouses fail us, we need to look to Christ, our great bridegroom, and ask, have I not failed him many, many times? And he has not turned me away. Christ has not become embittered over my own foolishness and sin and selfishness. And in his grace, he redeems the broken aspects of our marriages. He heals our wounded hearts and calls us to self-denial and faithfulness where we are and towards the person to whom we are married. We are called to honor God as children, to love and service in marriage, and finally, we consider today our calling as parents. And very simply, we go back to the passage in 1 Timothy 6, chapter 4, that we are called to bring our children up in the Lord. We are called as parents to bring our children up in the Lord. My favorite summary of parenting, I've shared it before, came from the head of Christian counseling at my seminary who said, uh, uh, you know, parenting, definition of parenting is easy. It's teaching fools to be wise. But it's hard because you're a fool. Our calling as parents is to, is to bring children up in the Lord. And, and Paul speaks to this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God has been commanding his people to do this. And this is not a new command. He promised, he, he told us uh, 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 through Moses even in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and chapter 6. He taught them, he told them, instruct your children in the way. There's multiple psalms that talk about how we will not withhold this teaching for the children. We need to teach it to the coming generations that they may praise the Lord and put their trust in him. What does it mean? What does it require? According to our, uh, even our confessional documents, our, our, the summaries of, of the Christian faith, the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 129, dealing with uh, what does it mean uh, to working out the implications of the fifth commandment to honor, uh, to honor our parents and what the responsibility of parents and superiors uh, over those they have authority. It means that parents have responsibility and, uh, to love and pray for and bless our children. It means we are called to instruct, counsel, and admonish them in their ignorance to support, commend, and reward them for doing well, and to remove our support, to reprove, and to chastise them when they do wrong. It means we protect them and provide for them as we are able to, for the needs that they have in their bodies and the needs they have for their souls with the gospel and the word of God. It means that we are to set a godly example for our children with our own lives. There's never, a good, there's, there's never been a greater hypocrisy exposure than children in our homes. As parents, we need to recognize that God providentially exercises much of his practical fatherhood through parents. We have to confess readily as parents, we far too often sin against our vocation. 
there are many grandparents raising their grandchildren instead of the parents through a variety of, of sad reasons, death or abandonment. Even for those of us who are seeking to be faithful children in the home, we confess that we lose our tempers, irritable, can lord our authority over our children at times. I've done it. We live in a sinful world where evil things also get thrust upon our children through no fault of our own. Where we've done our best to protect them and raise them and evil finds us anyway. Children, for their own part, can be raised in an imperfect yet godly home and still turn away from the faith. They can be taught and instructed. And I've shared this before. One of my favorite examples, though, of this was a mother, uh, Matthew Henry, famous uh, uh, Puritan and just uh, expositor of the Bible and wrote uh, fantastic books on prayer and uh, the Christian life. And his, fa his father died uh, at a young age. And so his uh, mother, uh, when, when he, he and his brother were about 16, sat him down and said, I have taught you the faith. I have taught you. I've instructed you. You know who you are. You know what you're supposed to be. You know you need to trust in Christ. You know these things. I have fulfilled my duty towards you. If you turn away, it is on your own head, not mine. You know, but also we look at the scriptures. You know, was Samuel the prophet a bad father? He had bad sons. He had sons that were wicked and corrupt. Was he a bad father? We don't know, actually, his fatherhood. Maybe he was. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't great. We don't know. Was he a great man of God? Yes. Was David a great man of God? Yes. Was he the best father? Eh, not so much. Okay? Okay. And this is where we have to consider here, and this applies not only to children, as, I mean, from parenting, but it goes into our, our roles as children to our parents as all, and also our roles in our, in our marriage is that we need to learn how to bear the cross in family, to suffer in family. Martin Luther said we don't get to pick the crosses we bear in our lives. If we did, we certainly would not choose to bear crosses concerning our children, would we? We would say give us any other cross than that one. Only let my kids, you know, not deal with that. But we don't get to choose. Our life is the one that God has assigned to us, that he has given to us, and it is filled with joys and sorrows. We don't get to pick which ones come and when. Oftentimes they're mixed together. But God in his providence is working in us and through us as parents as children, as, as, as husbands and wives. And our life certainly follows that pattern that David lays out in Psalm 23 with green pastures and still waters and valleys of shadow as dark as death. But we are called. In the green pasture and the warmth of the sun, we are called. In the coolness and refreshment of the waters, we are called. In the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death, we are called. And our shepherd is with us. Parents, our Father in heaven is with us. As we celebrate with our children, 
and even as we weep with and for them. And even if our children turn away from God and shake their fists at us and Him, yet we shall continue to pray for them, to love them, and wait patiently upon the Lord for them. Our calling in our family is so personal. The most sensitive wounds are with family. It's the most difficult of our callings. Because of sin in the world. Because of the corruption of our own flesh. But let us take heart. Let us remember and be strengthened by the grace of God. That we may be reminded that we are called to live as priests in relation to our parents to our children and to our spouses that we may offer our work, our calling, our life in our family as a living sacrifice unto the Lord, a sacrifice that brings him glory and honor and praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you were not surprised by the weights and sorrows that come upon us in our calling as family. And Lord, we freely confess our many faults and failures and sins that we barely barely are able to admit to ourselves, let alone to one another. Things that we are ashamed to say that we have done, that we have thought, And that we have said. We thank you that your grace and mercy cover not just the easy sins or the accidental ones, but the dark ones, the hurtful ones, where we sought to hurt those near us, where we sought to provoke them to anger, where we didn't care about how they felt where we just embraced our own rage and selfishness. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us for ungodly, wicked behavior and patterns of life that we have thoughtlessly embraced and justified. We pray that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us to bear those crosses and sorrows that we have been that we have entered into and and the sorrows that have been thrust upon us. Lord, we pray for the family members who do not know you, who make one bad choice after another. We pray for their salvation. We pray for their redemption. We pray, Father, for uh, for for them to have their eyes opened, their minds enlightened, and their wills renewed. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the marriages of this, uh, of everyone here and, and of this church. That we may, re- in repentance and faith, walk in love and service and respect towards one another in our marriages. That we may have pictures, just pictures of, of Christ in the church throughout our church here. We pray that our families be marked by honor for parents, 
by provision, instruction, and discipline, and love for children. We pray that you be glorified as we seek to honor you and live as priests and exercise, Lord, be, be diligent in discharging the duties of our office that you have given to us in our vocation, our calling, and our families. And we pray this all in the name of our blessed elder brother, Jesus. Amen.